The gated community of Carmel, near Buenos Aires, Argentina, was more than just a neighborhood. It was a safe haven for the wealthy in a time of economic unrest. The country had just experienced some of the worst economic times since the 1980s, and were just starting to recover in the late months of 2002. At the same time, Maria Marta Garcia Belsonce and her family were living in the Carmel compound and working with an Argentinian foundation that helped find missing children. Until it was Marta that came up missing. But then they found her. In her bathroom. Where, upon first glance, witnesses say, she appeared to have slipped, hit her head, and drowned in the bathtub. So that's it. That's it, guys. No mystery here. Thanks for coming. And uh, yeah, so be sure to subscribe and like and all that good stuff. Uh, so yeah, we'll look into it. Maybe look into it if you want to, but that's pretty much what happened. That's all I could find. All right. Maria Marta came from a very well-known and well-off Argentinian family. Her father, who was a lawyer, even sat as president of the National Bar Association for some time. So she's kind of the who's who of Argentina, okay? Maria's mother and father had three children together, including Maria Marta. Her mother had separated from her father years ago and was now married to their pediatrician, yikes, whom the mother had had an affair with, and they had two more children together. So in total, there are four siblings, two from her mother and father, and then two half-siblings from her mother and stepfather, slash her pediatrician. Maria Marta was married to Carlos Carasosa. They got married when the two were very young. Carlos was a retired stockbroker. The pair had moved to Carmel after retiring, hoping for a nice, quiet, safe retirement away from the chaos that was happening in Buenos Aires. Now, remember the bad economic times, Argentina? The country's currency had lost almost all of its value overnight, and the banks were forced to freeze accounts, which, interestingly enough, had happened before in the 1980s. Not only did this leave the people without ways to access their money, it also decreased the value of the assets they had on hand. So without going into too much about Argentinian finance and their economic troubles, we would just say it was a time where people had lost faith in the financial institutions and instead kept a lot of cash at their homes. So in a neighborhood like Carmel, tight security was a necessity, which is what makes this crime that much more disturbing. It was not just some drifter who caught someone at the right time and place. No, no. This crime had to be committed by someone inside the walls, inside the Carmel Country Club. Let's take a look inside there, right? That's a place where everyone knew everyone. It was like its own little pueblito surrounded by a wall with security guards everywhere, 24-7 surveillance. It was not a place you could just break into or, for that matter, even drive into without permission from a homeowner. Even police and emergency services would be denied entry without permission from a homeowner. That's right. Without invitation from a resident, nobody was getting in a Carmel Country Club. At least not unnoticed. 
So on the afternoon of October 27, 2002, Maria left her sister's home on bike, headed for home, as the rain had ruined her usual evening tennis match. Bummer. A tennis match that had usually was usually followed by a long, luxurious soak in the tub, followed by a massage from her personal masseuse at 7 o'clock each evening, followed by a luxurious glass of Chardonnay. No, I'm just kidding. I added that. Um, but on this particular evening, oh my God, you guys better seriously buckle in. This is going to be a, a uh, what, 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 how do I want to put this? A, a clusterfuck of the mind, okay? If you're not paying attention. These names are, are very important. There's a lot of names, and I'm going to do my best to keep this straight, okay? So, on this particular evening, her husband Carlos says he stayed at the house until a little before 7 o'clock. Then he drove home, and when he turned the corner onto his street, he saw a security guard where he normally parks in his driveway. Okay, now this house that Carlos was at was a friend's house where he was watching a soccer match. Okay, so he stayed there until a little before 7, then drove home, and upon arriving at home, there's a security guard in his driveway. He waited for the guard to move the golf cart from his driveway, and as they passed, the guard notified him that he was attempting to confirm the masseuse's appointment but could not reach Maria. Carlos told the guard to allow the masseuse to enter and then pulled the car in and parked it. At trial, the guard testified that he had knocked on the door and rang the bell several times and left after getting no response. And that's when he ran into Carlos. However, Carlos says when he got home and went to enter the, the front door, it was already open, contradicting everything that the security guard said. He says, Carlos, okay, being he here, says he then went in yelling for Maria, but never got a response. He then entered their master bedroom, and from there could see into the master bath, and there was a pool of blood on the floor. Now, between this pool of blood was between the boudet and the sink. It was a relatively small pool of crimson blood. And when he turned the corner of the bathroom door, he saw why no one could get in touch with Maria Marta, obviously. Her body was doubled over with her upper body in the bathtub, which was now filled with crimson-stained water. Maria Marta was fully clothed, and even still had her sneakers on. Carlos testified that as soon as he saw Maria in the bathroom, he rushed over, pulled her a few feet into the bedroom, and laid her on the floor. At this time, he heard the masseuse pull into the driveway. Carlos rushed over to the closet window and opened it up. He yelled down to her and told her to forget her stuff and to hurry. Maria had had an accident. Okay, the craziest, one of the craziest things about that last sentence, they have a window in their closet, right? It's crazy. But anyways, so the masseuse rushed up the stairs, and according to her and Carlos, she immediately attempted CPR, while Carlos called family members and emergency services. The first people to arrive at Maria Marta's house were her sister and brother-in-law, the same sister 
who Carlos and Maria had been with earlier. Interesting, right? Guillermo, Guillermo, I always say it, I always say it wrong the first time. Guillermo, Maria's brother-in-law, arrives first. He testifies that when he arrived, the masseuse was still attempting to revive Maria Marta. You know what? I just remembered. Carlos, when he was watching that soccer match, he was with Guillermo. Okay? And allegedly, before this happened, Maria was with her sister-in-law. So, I mean, uh, sister and brother-in-law. I'm sorry. It's her real sister, Maria's sister, and brother-in-law. Guillermo. Okay? They were the first to arrive. They claimed that the masseuse was still attempting to revive Maria when they got there. Carlos calls for an ambulance, and in his 911 call, he tells the dispatcher, quote, a person has fallen in the tub. It looks like she drowned. First off, I got a lot of issues with just the phrasing, right? Phrasing is so important. I got a I got an inside joke with a friend of mine, and anytime one of us says something that could be misconstrued into a different way, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. We'll just be like, <clears throat> phrasing. You know, I think it's from like Archer. I think it's from Archer, if I'm not mistaken. Phrasing, you know. But anyways, phrasing is super important. And if my wife was, if I found my wife in a pool of blood in the bathroom, one of my things would not be, there's a person in the that seems to have drowned. I guess they're just trying to be specific so they can be the most helpful. It just seems a little too formal for the situation. I, th- I feel like a more endearing term should have been used than just a person. Now, this is a this is an English translation as well. So almost everything you'll find on this case is um, in Spanish. But a lot of it, there is, there is some things. There's a Netflix documentary, obviously, which you can see in the sources, um, which is dubbed, or not dubbed, I'm sorry, subtitled. So a lot of reading, but... Anyways, back to the case, back to the case. So, he says it looks like someone has drowned. Well, right around the time he's making this call, um, Marta's sister arrives, Irene. This is uh, who's... Irene is married to Guillermo. She asks if a doctor has been called and is understandably a bit frantic. So she goes running out of the house and runs down to the guard station and asks them to call an ambulance. Finally, someone is calling an ambulance. Still a little frantic, she remembers that a Carmel resident was currently in med school and fetches him to come help Maria Marta. He testified that he arrived and relieved the masseuse and the two continued life-saving procedures until the ambulance arrived at 728. The first ambulance to arrive was accompanied by a Dr. Gordon, who was the first doctor on scene and was told Maria had slipped and hit her head. Dr. Gordon attempted to revive Maria through CPR. He also used adrenaline shots and electric shock paddles. However, all attempts to revive her had failed. Maria was pronounced dead. With a very flimsy exam of her body, Gordon noticed a small hole on the side of Maria Marta. And I say, um... Very flimsy. That is understatement still. <laughs> that is a huge understatement. Uh, very flimsy doesn't even begin to describe how shitty this exam was. But he noticed 
Okay, good for him. He noticed this, uh, a small hole on the side of Maria's head, okay, which would be consistent if she had fallen and hit her head on the sink or some other object. So convenient. He asked the masseuse to go upstairs and clean the blood up so the family didn't have to see it. And you know what? She did. Why the hell did this masseuse have to listen to this doctor? I have no idea. The masseuse would have been like, uh, no, I massage, I'm going to leave. Why am I still here? Right? She already freaking gave her CPR and shit. Like, she already went above and beyond. She's just, she's a masseuse. Like, let her, let her leave. Got her cleaning up blood. So anyways, a second ambulance arrived at 743 <clears throat> with a new doctor. Doctor, I'm going to call him a Pasai. I, I, I think that's the correct pronunciation. Dr. Pasai. By this time, Maria had already been declared dead by Dr. Gordon. Maria's entire family had arrived within hours, and instead of a crime scene, the house became a funeral home and hosted a sort of wake for Maria. Her body was wiped clean, and she was dressed and placed respectfully in her bed and surrounded by flowers that the family had brought. They just they just skipped right ahead to the funeral. Like, well, shit, if she's dead, let's have a funeral. So with all of her friends, family members, and neighbors all gathering, one question kept getting asked. Who made the punch? It's delicious. No, uh, it's how did it happen, obviously. <laughs> you guys thought it was the punch thing. Maria was only 50 at the time of her death, okay? She was a very physically active person with no real health concerns whatsoever. Rumors started to fly that maybe she had committed suicide and the family was just trying to cover it up. But with all the inconsistent stories, everyone kept hearing, it quickly became clear that something was not as it seemed. Maria's half-brother, John Herding, was the first to speak out and urged the others to seek forensic experts to investigate. His first doubt came when he was told Maria had slipped and hit her head on a low ceiling beam while she was still wearing her tennis shoes? I could see how he could have a problem with that. The bathroom was a, triangu was a triangular shape. So near the walls, the ceiling was lower than the middle of the room. And Carlos said it was not uncommon to forget it and hit your head. So the family was telling everyone it was a freak accident. When she hit her head, she was knocked unconscious and fell over into the tub that she had just filled with water, and she drowned. And even though John was told that both doctors who examined Maria declared her death by an accident, John was still not convinced. Good for John. He approached Maria's older brother, Horatio, who was a lawyer and also owned a quite popular radio show. So, and Marie, so Maria had been on her brother's show many times, raising awareness for the foundation she worked for, for missing children. So on October 28th, he had a lawyer friend come over with the local police and prosecutor so the family could be interviewed. And later that day, Maria was buried in the family crypt. The very next day. The family seemed to be rushing the death proceedings for some unknown reason. When they were interviewed by police and asked about possible suspects or any reason Maria's death might not have been an accident, of course the family told them no, and that she had just fallen. So the prosecutor 
over the period of a few days, maybe turn it into weeks, uh, interviews everyone involved, including the second doctor to arrive at the scene, Dr. Biazzi. He told the prosecution he found three holes in Maria's head, and they were large enough to fit his finger in. Gross. He also claimed that he... Guys, real quick, I want to take a minute to apologize if you heard any background noise in this episode. Um, I'm recording this kind of at a last minute. Had some things come up. Not your problem. Just want to apologize for it if you heard things like, my dog just bark. Things like that. Wow, right on cue. I swear to God I did not edit that in. Okay, anyways, back to the story. So, remember I was telling you that uh, the second doc said Maria's head had three holes large enough to fit his finger in? I don't know why he's putting fingers in head holes, but that's what he's doing. Um, But he also claimed that he urged the family to call the police at this time because he did not believe Maria's death was an accident. Naturally, this made the prosecutor um, a little sus. But when asked to provide the death certificate, the prosecutor noticed something. Something was a little off. He was handed the unopened death certificate by Maria's brother, Horatio. And when he looked over it, he noticed the cause of death was cardiac arrest and that she had died in Buenos Aires, neither of which is true. Carmel was located outside of Buenos Aires, and it was clear that Maria did not die of a heart attack. She was literally found in a pool of her own blood. There were noticeable holes in her skull, and the examiner said, heart attack? The certificate was obviously fabricated, okay, if you guys aren't catching on. It was also later discovered that close family friends had called several funeral homes to try and get a death certificate so she could be buried the next day. However, when the funeral homes asked to examine the body, which was, you know, standard procedure, they were met with resistance and therefore declined to issue a certificate. So, of course, with such questions raised and suspicions mounting, Maria's remains were exhumed and a proper autopsy was finally performed. What they found during the autopsy shattered the stories of everyone involved. Maria's body still had, (laughs) now brace yourself, still had, still had, at this point, five bullets in her head. And evidence that a sixth bullet had hit her. The sixth bullet left a mark on her face. It appeared to have just grazed her. What's even weirder is that the bullet holes had been filled with super glue. Yes, super glue. The murder weapon was determined to be a 32 caliber pistol. It has never been recovered. It was also clear that Maria had defensive wounds from fighting back against her attacker. When the family was told about Maria's cause of death, they remembered something. They had forgotten to tell police. Remembered, in quotes. When they had moved Maria's body onto the bed, they found a small metal thingy, is what they called it, under her body, and had picked it up and threw it into the toilet with tissue paper. With tissue paper. 
So they knew not to touch it. It just looked like a little metal thingy. So they just throw it right there in the toilet. Flush that bitch. So a month after her death, a proper team is sent to the Carmel house to do an inspection, including an attempt to locate this metal thingy in the house's septic tank. That's right. It's a bad day at the office for those fellas. So the family of Maria was naturally at the house and allowed to assist in locating the object if they so pleased. Dig around. Help us out, right? Get your hands dirty. And believe it or not, they were successful. They found a partial bullet fragment that matched the bullets in Maria's head. Are you... I couldn't believe it when this shit came up. I'm like, seriously? Through all that shit, all that literal shit... They found that little tiny piece of a bullet. Come on. So, oh my God. Let, so, we need to get into the way this investigation has unfolded so far, okay? And then also the way that is going to continue to unfold. Because over in Argentina, they do things very different, okay? Like, for instance... What the hell kind of investigation allows the family of a murdered woman to help in the investigation? Especially a team they've already, a, 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 a team of family members they've already proven are lying. At least some of them are, because they have contradicting statements. Okay? Also, the forensic team tried to piece together the crime scene using luminol to show blood. And noticed, um, they noticed a lot. They noticed a whole lot. They found blood going from the ground floor up into the bathroom where Maria was discovered. There was not a lot of blood found in the bathroom. As the masseuse, of course, remember, had cleaned it with bleach. According to the doctor's orders. But they found evidence that someone's fingers had trailed blood along the wall and wiped the walls as the masseuse did not wash the walls, at least not with bleach. DNA testing found that a woman and two men were involved and immediately asked for DNA samples from all the family members. However, by now, some of the family believed they were being targeted by the prosecutors and refused to give samples until other leads were exhausted. And although they eventually did provide the samples, None of them match the DNA found in the house. Dun, dun, dun. It's like, what the hell, right? So without proof of who actually committed the murder, the prosecutor was left, only bringing charges against the family for covering up the murder and interfering with the investigation. The prosecutor tried to tie Maria's death to the Mexican cartel and believed Carlos was using her charity work to launder money for them. However, of course, the family had a suspect at the time and gave the name Nicholas Pacello to the police. He was a neighbor and not a very good one. Uh, if, you're, if, you're, if you're seriously considering the Mexican cartel thing that I just threw out, forget about it. That's, that's, that's probably not it, okay? I, I, don't, I don't put a lot of stock in that, and you guys will just hear me out. So this Nicholas Pacello, right, he was identified to the police by the family. According to others who live in the neighborhood, Pacello was a troublemaker of sorts. He was the son of one of the founders 
of the community, believe it or not. And apparently, things had a way of going missing when Pachelowa was around. He had uh, sticky fingers. The family believed Maria Marta had interrupted a burglary by Pacello, right? And was killed so she couldn't reveal his identity. That makes perfect sense. He would have a reason to be in the community because he's a freaking neighbor, right? And he has every reason to cover it up. Maria and Pacello had history as she believed that he had kidnapped, kidnapped her dog and demanded ransom, but she refused to pay for it because she said if she did, he wouldn't stop there and eventually he would kidnap Carlos and demand a ransom for him. Pacello gave an alibi to the police saying he was in Capital City at the time Maria was believed to have been murdered. However, during the trial, during the trial, Three teenagers testified that they saw Pacello out jogging that day around the same time they saw Maria riding her bike home. They said they remembered it because they were afraid of Pacello and made sure to avoid him. Ain't it funny how someone always finds these random witnesses who just happen to be loitering or walking by at just the right time to shatter an alibi? But remember when I said Argentina was an economic crisis at the time? Apparently, Maria Marta had taken a home safety deposit box with her that belonged to the Missing Children Foundation, and it contained very large amounts of cash. The lockbox has been missing from the house since Maria's murder and hasn't been recovered since. Pacello maintained his innocence, saying he was nowhere near the house, but when Pacello's mother was made aware of the situation, she actually committed suicide to keep from being questioned. Committed suicide. That's pretty telling. So maybe she's just tired of it. Maybe she's just like, fuck it. Not another time I'm going to have to be investigated for you. I'm just tired of it. I'm just going to kill myself now. I'm just tired of having a son like you, Pacello. Well, if you thought that, you'd be wrong. Because she actually left behind a note insisting that Nicholas was innocent and blaming Maria's family for her suicide, for her suicide, saying they were the ones who drove her to it. Yes, they drove her to shoot herself five times in the head and barely miss one time. <laughs> it was also weird that a sketch artist was brought in for some witnesses who claimed to have seen a woman around the house that day, and the sketch to had a striking resemblance to Pacello's wife. The witness said the woman was wearing a pink maid's uniform, but they didn't recognize her because the sketch artist and investigation into Pacello was done mostly by the family. None of that was taken seriously. And when given the sketch, the prosecutor chose not to show it. However, being the connected family that they were, they did not just toss it aside. No. Maria's brother took the sketch on TV and presented it during an interview. Even with all of this, even with all of this, the prosecutor still had no interest in investigating the family because he claimed that all the evidence pointed clearly to them being responsible. He acted as if it was a waste of time and resources to investigate anyone other than the family members themselves, and more specifically the first to arrive at Maria's house that day, was a waste of time. Carlos was brought to trial in 2003 for the murder of his wife, 
but he pled not guilty. In 2007, he was convicted for covering up the crime, but not for committing it. In 2009, Carlos filed an acquittal on the conspiracy charges, and it was overturned, but not in the way he'd hoped. His charges were overturned and sentenced to life for aggravated homicide. Then, in 2011, Dr. Gordon, the first doctor on the scene, along with Maria Marta's brothers, Horatio and John, were all found guilty of covering up her murder and sentenced to six months in prison. But they appealed the charges and were out on bail within two months. Apparently in Argentina, you can get sentenced and be in jail and just bail out. That's, that's fine, I guess. So during the 2011 investigation, it was found that Maria's time of death was actually proven to be closer to 6.30. This also proved that Carlos could not have committed the murder, committed the murder as he was proven to be in the country club bar at the time in the trial in 09. I know, it's a lot, it's a lot. Just, just bear with me. So they had used Carlos's weak alibi he said he was, he was at Irene and Guillermo's. So they used that to convict him in 2009 and then reversed it in 2011, proving that he could not have committed the crime. <laughs> See what I'm saying? It's like they use it when it works for them and then they doubt it when it doesn't. You know, it, you know how it is. It's court. So in 2016, he was acquitted, even though he still maintained the original story of being at his sister-in-law's house. Then, in 2017, the case took another turn after Nicholas Pacello <clears throat> was arrested for breaking into a gated community very similar to Carmel. And now he and two of the guards at Carmel Country Club are going to trial for the murder of Maria Marta. Will it be proven that Maria Marta was killed by someone outside of the family? Or will this just uncover more fucking questions? Okay? Like the one huge question that I have. If the family really didn't do this, if, if Pacello really did this, why did they cover it up? Why did they all lie? Like, what... What's going on here? How much money was in this cash box? Maybe they thought that this was just... I don't know. Maybe they thought that this was a, a higher-up hit. You know, I got this crazy off-the-wall theory, and you know how I like to throw them out. But, okay, follow me here. So, Maria's main income, if you will, her main job was the charity, right? for missing children. Maybe she learned a little too much through that. Maybe she was doing a little too much recovering some of these children because we know in the dark corners of the world, the, I mean, sex trafficking, child trafficking, that's, that's a reality. It's, it's terrifying it's absolutely terrifying, but it happens in every single country. Happens in every single country. And or maybe she was 
Maybe she was involved in it in some other way. I don't know. I don't know. It's a crazy speculation. I know. But if she was hurting these people and their business, this un- this underground business, whoever these people are, the world leaders or whatever you want to say, like, regardless, this shit happens on a very large scale. Um, if you anger those people, I feel like there would be consequences. And I think if they're... And if you do anger those people and it's obvious to the family, because who knows what they found at that crime scene when they were the first ones there. If it became obvious to them, maybe there was a message left, that would make sense as to why they would cover it up. That would make perfect sense. Or they killed her and just took all her money and they split it between, I guess, the three of them. I don't know. It's uh, it, it is a weird, twisted tale. I hope you guys were able to follow that. I hope you're able to digest all that. But if you weren't, I got good news. Catch it all in the Snapchat. What the snap? Sh- what am I saying? Catch it all in the Snapchat. <sighs> Whatever. Just roll the Lauren synopsis. Gotta stop smoking before. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren Synopsis. Breaking down the case like. Breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here, here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained, the 2002 murder of Maria Marta, a 50-year-old woman who was found shot six times in the head in uh, her own home in the bathroom. Um, She lived in a beautiful, very uh, safe country club called the Carmel Country Club in Argentina. Beautiful place, guard-gated, barbed wire around this whole community, uh, and surveillance cameras, somewhere where you would least expect something like this, like this to happen. And on this day, you know, she had had lunch with her sister. Her sister lived in the same community right down the street. This is something that often happened. She had, you know, lunch with her sister, with her husband, and with her uh, brother-in-law. And she went to play tennis, which was like a Sunday ritual for her. And when rain interrupted that, she decided to ride her bike down the street to her house and take a bath before her masseuse got there. Um, the masseuse was set to arrive soon. She got to the house um, first. Um, her husband was still at her sister's house watching a soccer game, allegedly. She got there, and when the husband returned home shortly thereafter, uh, he found security at his house. They said that the masseuse was having trouble getting into the community because no one was answering the, the phone or the door at their home, and usually that's they had to give permission, you know, um, so Maria would have had to give permission for the masseuse to come in to the community, and she was not answering anything, so they couldn't let the masseuse in. This was uh, concerning for Carlos, supposedly, which he then went into the home and discovered his wife uh, on the verge of death on the bathroom floor. According to him, she wasn't dead yet. She was uh, breathing very uh, gingerly and not responding to anything and bloody um, in the bathtub. He had to pull her out of the bathtub by the way, which, which had water and blood in it. Um, 
And so he calls his brother-in-law down the street first before he calls the cops. That's kind of odd, but I can see in a panic why you might do something like that uh, because he's close and he can come and help now as opposed to calling an ambulance and who knows how long it'll take for them to get there. So he calls his brother-in-law first, who then shows up. That's Guillermo. Um, and her sister was Irene, which she shows up shortly thereafter too. Um, so, ah, man, I'm just going to beat to the punch. I, I watched the four-part series, Carmel, Who Killed Maria Marta on Netflix. It's like almost an hour piece, four episodes. And if you don't speak Spanish, you have to read the subtitles. So it was, you cannot look away. It's, it's, it was a very well done docuseries. Um, and I enjoyed it. Um, and I have to say by the end of it, I was convinced of her husband of over 30 years, Carlos Caracasca being her murderer, sadly. And I, I don't know how someone can do something like that after loving someone for 30 years and being in that kind of relationship, but so many things point to him and a co-conspirator or two, potentially Guillermo and Irene, sadly, her own sister, her half-sister, I think maybe didn't directly want to murder, play a role in murdering her sister, but I think something happened that day between Maria and Carlos, potentially involving money and money laundering, maybe even the cartel. Some secret came to light, a fight got really out of control, and potentially Carlos had to silence Maria because she was going to expose him. Um, and it was a matter of, you know, he, she was going to get both of them killed or he had to kill her type of thing, possibly. But to me, there's just no other way um, to explain all of the strange things that happen following Maria being discovered bloody and, and dying on the floor. All of the strange things that Carlos... Guillermo, Irene, even John and Horatio, um, which are Maria's other siblings, her brothers, show up, and they clean the crime scene. The masseuse helps to clean the crime scene. They dispose, they admittedly dispose of a bullet, which they called a thingy. They flushed it down. Who flushes a metal, a small metal object down the toilet? Just just bad idea for a homeowner in general to flush small metal objects that can really mess your plumbing up. Um, but when it's underneath the body of a loved one, like I, all I needed to know was that they came, you know, that the husband and the family members, the siblings and whatnot came to a murder scene, which was clearly a murder scene. She'd been shot six times in the head. There's blood everywhere. This is clearly not a trip and fall. She's wearing shoes for Christ's sake. This was a murder scene and they, they tried to basically brushed this thing under the rug. The family rushed to get a birth certificate that night, and then on the birth certificate, they lied about where she had died, how she had died. They said that she had died of cardiac arrest, so she just had a heart attack, even though she got shot six times in the head. Um, so many, th not allowing police into the community. Um, they allowed two different ambulances in, um, but they wouldn't allow police to come in. Um, I, yeah, so, something happened between... Maria and Carlos, in my opinion, and I know Pacella, Pacello, the neighbor who was a petty thief and criminal, um, has gotten a lot of heat. Supposedly, he at one point had stolen um, Carlos and Maria's dog and held it ransom. But there's not even evidence that he he was the perpetrator there. They just know that some someone stole it. It was most likely Pacello. He didn't seem like a good guy at all. 
but there's no evidence of forced entry. There's no real evidence of robbery. I know they said that there was some box that um, Maria was supposedly in possession of because she worked for uh, an organization that helped to um, find trafficked children, which is an awesome cause. Um, and that could have been part of the motive. It's very possible that Carlos, he loved money. I mean, he was, he'd become a self-made millionaire working, you know, the stock market and all kinds of stuff. And he had admitted to even uh, uh, trafficking drugs at one point in his younger days. And he just seemed like a guy that he was a very cold person. Um, and I, I almost think if it came down to money or his wife, even if he loved his wife, maybe it was a rage thing that he just lost control, you know, whatever it was. I think he he shot his wife. And, and the fact that it's overkill as well, six times, shooting someone six times in the head is overkill. It leans toward a crime of passion. Um, and unfortunately, the I, I thought it was pretty lame that they brought the masseuse in on charges, you know, of, of – uh, a cover-up charges when it's like, man, she was just the wrong place at the wrong time. She was told to to clean up the scene, and she, as far as she knew, it was it really was just an accident. Um, as far as John and Horatio, the two brothers that showed up a little later, I think they initially thought it was an accident as well, slip and fall. They didn't see the holes in her head. Um, but I, if if I had to, if I had to give a definitive idea of who did it, I, undoubtedly. Carlos, her husband, played a role in this and, and may have even been the shooter. And I think Guillermo and Irene were there, knew what happened, knew that Carlos had shot her and decided to help him cover it up for whatever reason, even though Irene was her own sister. Her sister was the one that got murdered. Um, yeah, that's it was a crazy series. There's much more that I could go that I could talk about. I'm sure Michael's already talked about a lot of it. But uh, to me, it's 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 not Pacello. It was the husband. The husband did it. We know that old phrase. Um, and I'm not 100% sure of the motive, but I have a feeling that there is some kind of cartel ties here. I think Carlos is involved in some dirty money. He had a bit of a Pablo Escobar vibe to him. He almost reminded me of the actor that played Pablo Escobar in Narcos. Um, he just seemed like a very cold person, um, and I didn't. I just didn't believe him when he was talking. And then just there's just no way – that you walk into that, you're just hanging out with your wife who you've loved for 30 years. Five, you know, you're hanging out with her, you have a great day, you have lunch. Then like an hour later, you go home and she's found in that state and just in a bathtub filled with blood. There's blood all over the room. There's a projectile under, you know, on the floor that looks like a bullet. There's holes in her head. There's just no way you just go, you know, well, she's dead now. What can we do about it? That was the mentality he had. She's dead now. What can we do about it? Let's go get her in the ground as soon as possible. It's clearly he had done something, and the and the family helped him cover it up for whatever reason. Um, that's there's no other way to see it in my opinion. So that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next week. Okay, okay, interesting. Hot take on Carlos. Really not convinced of anybody else. Interesting. Um, yeah, it definitely seems the most plausible. It's just because the whole family covered it up. That's the thing. Like, if they didn't do it, why did they cover it up? Why did they flush a bullet? You know? Why did they clean up the crime scene? Why is everybody in on it? You know? I don't know. Must have been something pretty magical in that lockbox. 
pretty great amount of money or something. I don't know. But thank you, Lauren, as always, for that excellent synopsis and clearing all that up. You know, you even cleared it up for me. I was trying, I was still deciding between the, the few different things. But see, he noticed, he, he, he mentioned the uh, child trafficking uh, theory as well. See, I'm not that crazy. He thought the same thing. He thought the same thing. There's probably, there may be a few of you out there. But um, anyways, guys, let's move on. Let's do a little housekeeping. I hope you guys enjoyed this case. I hope you're able to, um, hope you're able to keep up with it. Maybe now you're ready to go watch uh, the Netflix doc because um, it can be a very frustrating watch. I left out even more twists and turns that I thought were just unnecessary, to be honest. Just, you know, a lot of things that... Uh, a documentary will do just to throw you off the scent to stretch it out two or three more episodes. I threw that stuff out. So, you're welcome. Um, things I don't throw out? Reviews. I cherish them. Like this one. Left from DK Rev in the UK. Says, fascinating. Five stars. I'm finding the variety of different cases fascinating. Thank you. Karen from St. Albans in the UK. Right on. From across the pond. Thanks, Karen. I appreciate it. Try to keep it mixed up. Try to keep you guys on your toes. And also, you know, try to find strange stuff as well. That's kind of a uh, a crucial part of it. But, hey, guys, if you're listening on an app where you can leave a review, please do. I appreciate it very much. It helps the show. It helps other people find the show. And it's just fun. And you get a shout-out, right? If you write something, you get a shout-out. I'll read it. Um, another way to support the show, guys is to check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. For just three bucks a month, you guys can get early access to all of these um, all of these episodes early on Thursday. That's what early access would be, right, Michael? Duh. Uh, but you get access to these episodes on Thursday instead of Monday. But you might like Mondays, so I might have fucked myself over there. I think most people actually do like episodes on Mondays. Anywho, I got other stuff on there, too, that I am trying to keep up with. Um, I, if you don't know, I have another podcast called True Crime Guys that I do with Lauren that you heard in the Lauren synopsis. And between that podcast and this this one, I, I stay quite busy. But even that wasn't enough for me. So I stuck my foot in my fucking mouth, and I promised two extra shows um, that I would do on Patreon, one being Strange Shorts and one being The Palate Cleanser. And to be completely honest, so far I'm not, I'm not delivering on them the way that I should. But that is going to seriously change. Strange Shorts, definitely going to tackle that. I think the palette, the Strange Shorts is going to be more regular. Palette Cleanser, a lot of work goes into those things, guys. Uh, I think I have like nine installments of the Palette Cleanser right now on Patreon. So if you haven't, um, if you've never even heard of that or Patreon or whatever, you guys can go check that out. Um, there's about nine installments of the palate cleanser, but those episodes, they take a lot of, they take a lot of work. They really do. So maybe I'll put out a palate cleanser every now and then, but I think I'm going to stick with the strange shorts, give myself one thing to concentrate on and dude, I can handle it. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I appreciate you guys sticking with me again. That's patreon.com slash S and you podcast. Um, if you need one more uh, monthly auto-drafted bill coming out of your account, right? Like, anybody needs that shit right now. But anyways, 
Right, guys, I appreciate you just listening. If you could, just give me a share on social media, at S&U Podcast, and on Twitter, on Instagram. Um, you can look up Strange and Unexplained on Facebook as well. You can reach out to me on any of those platforms, or you can just email me straight up at Podcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, also check out our merch, truecrimeguys.threadless.com. There's a link below the description of this episode. Go check out some dope swag. I think people are still saying that. Um, Anyways, guys, we'll catch you next week. Remember, be strange. Just don't be a stranger.